That new Ford Ranger 2023 diesel V6. <laughs> You're already planning the mods, aren't you? And you haven't even bought it yet. You're lying wide awake three o'clock in the morning, planning this tweak and that tweak with a little introw TP. There's no shame, dude. Like, we've all been there. But there is, of course, a right and a wrong way to do this, is there not? So, have a guess which of those ways we're going to discuss next. I'm John Logan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Australia only, even Rangers, dude. I have no shame on that one. Website. Card. Now, I've got this question from a dude who is doing the whole 3 a.m. wide awake planning this and that, and he's well down this track, and I kind of think that's a mistake because without empirical data, how would you know what you need and the potential to waste endless big bucks, which is exactly what the aftermarket industry wants, of course, that's there, and you could actually just make the vehicle worse at great expense for what you want to do, right? So that's a risk. Anyway, we'll drill down into exactly that in just a sec. This report is sponsored by NordVPN. Now, I'm not a hardcore IT guy, but I've heard enough, especially recently, about data breaches, scams and hacks to know that being online can be inherently risky and costly. You don't have to be tech savvy to use NordVPN it's a simple one-stop cybersecurity solution. One click and you are protected from hackers, malware and pop-ups across as many as six devices. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN. I don't even notice it running in the background, frankly. And it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee to keep your data, your identity and your devices secure every month. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back at home. The same goes for streaming services and you can access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. It's a pretty small price to pay for cyber security. Not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to nordvpn.com slash AEJC to get a huge discount off your plan plus four months free. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. So I got this by email this morning from a dude named Simon Lehamnina. I hope I didn't mangle that too badly, Simon. And hey, dude, if I did, you're still getting your answer. You want fries with that? I'm looking at buying a Ford Ranger Sport in the V6. Oh, I can't be the only one thinking that. We do a lot, one word, of travelling in remote areas, brackets, dingo piss creek places, so regular viewer approved. And the sport offers some nice features that I would find quite usable. The only issue I have with the sport is that it comes with 18-inch wheels and lower profile tyres compared to the XLT, compared with, just saying, which I find counterproductive, two words, it should be one, 
to off-road ability. Off hyphen roadability, one word, of course. Offering larger wheel sizes with lower profile tyres in upper spec models seems to be a common theme amongst all 4x4 vehicle manufacturers. Don't use the word amongst, it's one of the most sucky variants possible. It's among. Unfortunately, if you actually plan on driving off the bitumen on more challenging tracks, low profile tyres are not ideal and anything less than 70 series would be a compromise based on my experience. The Ranger Sport comes standard with two 5565 R18s. It does. I'm keen to explore the possibility of fitting two 6570 R18s. So that's a tiny little step up in section width and a tiny little step up in aspect ratio also. Still on 18s though. We'll get to that. That's an increase in rolling diameter of about 5%. It is, I checked. With a corresponding speedo reading 5% less than actual speed. That's not the case, dude, because your speedo is not reporting actual speed. Your speedo is required by virtue of ADR compliance to be between 0 and minus 10%. Okay, so in other words, it can indicate 100 at 100 or it can indicate up to 110 at 100 or anything in between, but it can't be outside that range. In other words, it can't say 96 or something when you're actually doing 100. And it can't say more than 110 when you're actually doing 100. It has to be kind of in that range of 0 to 10%. So in practice, it's probably reporting something like 105, 106 when you're actually doing 100. And doing this change will bring it back closer to accuracy. And I'd suggest that any time you make any change to the size of your tyres, you should get a GPS speedo app on a decent phone with a decent GPS chip in it and go out on the flat and calibrate your speedo. In other words, you should drive along at 100 on the flat on a nice piece of road with no overhanging trees so you've got a good view of the sky and no big, you know, cuttings or anything like this that block out half of the potential satellites that you could be receiving and then just drive along and see what it is. Or even better, drive along until the GPS speed gets to 100 and note what that says on the speedo. And do it on a piece of relatively level road because steep uphills and downhills sort of dick with the accuracy a bit. So it's not a bad idea to do that with every car, even if it's bog standard, because then you know. Like you know definitively what 100 on the speedo or what 100 is in reality on the speedo, it's probably about 105 or 106. Anywho, Simon goes on and says, assuming these tyres would physically fit after the factory two-inch lift fitted by the dealer, well, they would do. They're not that much bigger and you're lifting the car up, so it's going to fit. Incidentally, it's not a factory fit item if it's fitted by the dealer. A factory fit item is something that actually gets fitted on the production line at the factory. This is an optional accessory that gets fitted by the dealer like it's a suspension upgrade okay and my understanding is there's two of those available at uh, Ford currently for the Ranger there's um, an uh, old man emu one from ARB and it's got nitro charger dampers and things of that nature and then there's another suspension upgrade as well so that's pretty well covered off by Ford in terms of aligning the vehicle with the end use of the punter so there's that 
Would the Speedo still be considered within tolerance if these tyres were fitted? It'd probably be closer to bang on if you do that. But there are other things to consider, like the lift and the slightly bigger tyres, they're going to change the gearing, right? Well, the lift's not going to change the gearing, but the slightly bigger tyres are going to change the gearing. The lift plus the slightly bigger tyres are going to change the angle through which the universal joints and the uh, drive shafts have to work, and that's going to make them wear out quicker and it's going to maybe introduce vibrations and harshness and things of that nature also. So, you know, you got to weigh all this stuff up. And obviously, if you ever need to swerve around a kangaroo then, or a child, then the two-inch lift is really not going to help, is it? It's, it's no secret that if you want a car to handle well, you get it closer to the ground, not the other way around. So there's that. Given the tech in these vehicles, is there a way of programming a correction factor within the ECU module to allow for this? I don't think Ford gives the end user access to that kind of configurability. But like I said, just get a GPS speedo on your phone and calibrate away, dude. Just do like a ghetto calibration so that you know what 100 in reality is on the speedo after you make these changes, okay, if you make them. He goes on and says, I do realise the other option would be simply to fit 17-inch rims, but I'm trying to avoid this, if possible, as I'm a tight ass and it would kill me to have to replace these brand new wheels with another set. Okay, dude, so here's the thing. Part one of this thesis is don't modify the vehicle until there's empirical data that it needs to be modified. That would be my strong advice to everyone. And it doesn't matter if you're a piss creakian or you're a flat out performance nut who just wants to do track days. In either case, I'd suggest if you want to go out on some rough tracks, have a crack in the standard Ranger and see exactly what aspect of its performance lets it down first. Uh, see if you can drive the platform to the limit of its performance before you go just blowing big bucks endlessly on this modification and that modification. And I know you're not going to hear this from too many 4x4 channels because they have a very close relationship, let's put it that way, with the aftermarket industry. So their sort of default position is standard everything is shit and you've got to replace everything with stuff from our advertisers. In fact, the reporters and the advertisers are so close that in many cases my estimation is that the word fist is a verb. So there's that. I'd suggest that you need what I would call empirical evidence, right? So empirical evidence just means observational data. Okay? And you can't get observational data about whether 65 or 70 series tyres are going to be inadequate or adequate or good enough if you change them without experiencing the vehicle in the field. So get the vehicle standard, put it in the field and see what lets it down. Because it could simply be that the road biased tyres that it comes with fill up with whatever shit is in the track, you know, muddy shit just clogs up the tread and you're essentially driving on a set of slicks and that limits the performance. In which case, the obvious thing to do is just change the tyres for a set with more all-terrain or mud-terrain or more rough road capability. That's an option, okay? But You've also got to ask yourself, how often are you doing this kind of driving and what is the downside of doing these modifications? Because 
you're always making a compromise. And if you increase the performance envelope off-road, then what you're going to do is reduce the performance envelope on-road. And if you drive to Dingo Piss Creek, you do a hell of a lot of on-road driving. You do a hell of a lot of bitumen driving, and you do a hell of a lot of road driving on unsealed roads. So let's talk about the different kinds of people who use 4x4 vehicles in addition to just the school run and the shops and things like that. If you're actually a piss creaky and you probably fall into one of two camps, maybe two of two camps. The first camp is the dude or dudette who just wants to get to the outskirts of a big city heading away from the city and see a sign that just says cock of a road next 400 kilometers and they want to drive down there and their road gets worse and worse and worse and they want to drive through busted ass scrub to some shitty creek because they don't know that we have these things called aircraft that can take you to an idyllic tropical beach in just a matter of hours and you can stay in a five-star resort with all these hotties by the pool right that's one class of piss creekian. Often they want to tow their acoustically transparent aluminium chitois and take their effluent on tour and, you know, hashtag Australia. I get that. There's the other class of piss creekian, of course, who does actually want to engage low range and drive through the deepest water they can and the thickest mud and the softest sand, hopefully below the low water mark so they can risk submerging the vehicle in the Pacific or Indian Oceans, hopefully both, um, things of that nature. It's not fun unless you've broken an axle this month kind of thing, okay? And you need different tyres depending on which one of those classes of piss creekian you are. Obviously, if you're just the rough road piss creekian, with a little bit of off-road even thrown in occasionally, then you want a set of tyres that are going to cope with the slings and arrows of really rough, sharp, gravel, washaways and defects of this nature, but really don't help you in terms of articulation and increased contact patch when you lower the pressures and things like that. That's for the second class of Piss Creekian. And this is the thing about modern four-wheel drives, right? The tyres are always a compromise. They do research and they figure out the average driver wants to do this and then they put those tyres on the car for the average driver. And if you're not that, it makes sense to change it maybe after you've done the testing, right? You've gone out in the field and you've empirically determined that the vehicle has this or that deficiency and you're going to change it. That makes absolute sense if that's you, okay? But if you're just, you know, 3am trouser TP planning the mods, that is a dud way to do it and it can lead to a flat-out disaster where you make the vehicle worse and you don't achieve your objective, okay? So in the case of your dead-set rough road, four-wheel drive, track driving Piss Creekian, what you often want is a nice deep sidewall, okay? Because then the more you let the pressure out, the longer the contact patch grows. And in many situations, including sand and mud, what you've got is a soft surface, and soft surfaces have very low tolerance for what I would call bearing pressure. So things sink into them, and the countermeasure against that, because of the relationship between pressure and force and area, is that if you increase the contact area, you reduce the pressure and therefore the vehicle doesn't sink as far and this is really useful in sand and mud in particular right because you can drop the pressure increase the contact patch 
and you don't get bogged as often because you float more. You reduce the bearing pressure on the surface and therefore you sink less into it. Okay, And that makes a big difference. Obviously, if you've got a sidewall that's this high, you can let the pressure out a lot and the tyre will uh, compress. In other words, the rim will sink lower relative to the road and the contact patch will increase in length and therefore grow in area and you won't sink as much. But this is not much help on a road, even a rough road. What you need on a rough road is a fairly good handling tyre that's just tough enough, like reinforced enough, so that rocks and other isolated geometric cock of a road defects don't just hit it and reduce it to trash, okay? So there's that. Now, I'd suggest that a Ranger Sport V6 diesel, dual cab, is $67,000 plus on-road costs. And this lift kit has got to be worth a few thousand dollars because there's a lot of components. There's front and rear springs and four dampers and that someone has to fit it. So that's a fair bit of hardware. It's going to be a few thousand bucks for that. If you've got 70 grand, you can absolutely afford replacement wheels and tires and if you only do this four or five times a year for example then why not buy a dedicated set of rough terrain wheels and tires and then you get the civilized tires for the majority of your running around and then when you're going to go out to dingo piss creek you fit the rough terrain ones and if you've got 70 grand to spend on a car it's not going to quote kill me to have to replace these ones. You're not going to replace them anyway. You're just going to buy a set that is purpose designed and selected for you to achieve your objectives out there. And then when you get back, you can just jack the car up and put the, you know, the road biased ones back on for taking little Jimmy and Jemima to school on Monday. So that works. So let's drill down just a little harder into this proposed tyre change, mindful of the fact that there's no empirical evidence that there's an objective deficiency in the vehicle's performance standard, right? But if there is, what are we going to do about it once we've gone out and acquired the data by observation, right? The standard tyres are 25565R18s. So they've got a sidewall height of 166 millimetres, if you're not from around here. 166 millimetres is from the bottom of the ruler to the bottom of the yellow tape, okay? The proposed change has 186, which is 20 millimetres, or about three quarters of an inch in the old money, which gets the sidewall height from the bottom of this yellow line to this one. And to me, spending 1,200 bucks to get three quarters of an inch of sidewall, that's not going to grow the contact patch appreciably enough to get you out of the shit if, in fact, you are in the shit on the standard ones. So let's think about this a little bit more. Let's try and be just ever so slightly more amenable to spending the big bucks, okay? And in the context of buying a brand new Ranger for 70 grand, this is not the big bucks. This is less than two grand to do this, okay? What you need to appreciate is that the standard tires are 31 inches in diameter and 31 is a Goldilocks size in the 4x4 space. They tend to be 31s, 33s and 35s for off-roading, okay? So you could stick with 31s and you could come back 2 inches to 16-inch rims. I'd be a little bit hesitant to try 15s because they might not clear the brakes, but I'm pretty sure that a 16-inch rim would clear the brakes on a Ranger, okay? 
you'd want to test that before you spend it but you could take your vehicle to a tire joint they could try it out and if it doesn't you probably have to come back to 17s instead but anyway let's just proceed on the basis of thought experiment 16s clear the brakes and all the other components right if that is the case you can get 2657516 so we're going up from 65 to 75 the width of the tires going up by 10 millimeters in section width and what we're basically doing is growing the sidewall height from the bottom of the yellow tape to the bottom of the blue tape and that's giving us a sidewall height of 199 millimeters versus 166 so we're getting plus 33 which is kind of an inch and eight millimeters so it's an inch and five sixteenths in the old money kind of thing which is a much more significant increase than the proposed one and all you've got to do is get you know four 16 inch steel rims and that can be your off-road set so you can have an off-road set and the on-road set on the standard wheels and if you do this sort of off-roading even six times a year it's really not much of a bother in the context of expedition prep to jack the car up and fit the adventuring tires six times a year and then you put the good set back in the garage and just you fit them back when you get back home and then you can run little Jimmy and Jemima to the school and have that refined civilized performance that you used to and you deserve when you're driving around the burbs which let's face it is what you do most of the time and when you go and see her friggin parents in Canberra or something you get on the highway you just leave the standard tires on the car because they're going to perform better for that kind of driving to me that makes real sense and I'd suggest that there's also a greater set of considerations about which kind of tyres you fit. Like, are we going to fit highway terrain tyres? Are we going to fit all-terrain tyres or mud terrain tyres? And that's going to really depend on you and the operating conditions you're likely to experience. And you have to be realistic about this too, because the last thing you want is to be two inches further off the ground on tyres with a big soft sidewall and have some obstacle in front of you that you cannot hit like a child and you need to swerve around it and if you degrade the performance of your vehicle by jacking it up and putting it on floppy tires with not as much actual rubber on the road because let's not forget when you fit mud terrain tires one of the countermeasures against clogging up with mud is just to increase the amount of void in the tread face so there's less rubber and more void which is better for shedding mud but a shit ton worse at actually gripping a good piece of road so you need to be objectively intelligent about this kind of stuff and that is difficult for piss creekians and tradies and all of this stuff it's difficult for people in that modification mindset that modification masturbation mindset it's difficult to acknowledge the truth that modifying the vehicle to increase its off-road performance is going to degrade its performance in emergencies in the conditions that you are likely to drive in most often so my strong advice about modifying vehicles and there is no end to what you can do with modification but you really need to be conservative about it because what you want to do in the main is make your vehicle good enough to do what you need it to do out there reliably and safely etc without degrading the shit out of it for the majority of its operation which is 
not the stuff that you romanticise, but it's the stuff that you did last Monday, last Tuesday, last Wednesday, last Thursday, last Friday, last Saturday, last friggin' Sunday, and all the while you're stuck in traffic like that, fantasising about Dingo Piss Creek, but not going there. So there really has to be a balance between trouser TP stuff and reality when it comes to modification. And you should never start modifying the vehicle before you park it in your friggin' driveway, dude. You've got to go out in the field and establish a benchmark, right? Here's the vehicle's baseline performance. Here's where it's deficient. Here's what it's deficient in. And here's the minimum conservative but intelligent way of upgrading it so it overcomes these deficiencies without fucking it up for the majority of driving that you really are going to do.